Every year, around this time of year, our church council begins thinking about next year uh, and our budget for next year, um, what we're going to invest in, what we're not, how we're going to change the weekly tithes and offerings uh, budget amount. And each year, it is a bit of a... Uh, I mean, we pray and we seek God and we sort of get a sense of what God wants us to do, but it's a bit of a stab in the dark in terms of what's our giving going to do next year? Is it going to go up, down, stay the same? Some years we see a big jump, other years we see a little drop. Um, and that's all, I mean, people move and people come and people go and that's fine. And so what we would love to uh, encourage everyone to think about is next year, um, whether you're going to give less, more or the same of if you already know, maybe you're moving next year and you know, well, it's definitely going to be less. That would just help us with planning. Uh, or if you're new to church and you're like, I haven't really given yet, uh, but I'm planning to s- start tithing next year. Again, fantastic. We'd love to, to, to know. So it's not about trying to get more out of anyone, but just a, if you are considering giving and tithing next year, how much? Uh, more, less, the same. That would help us with planning. Because um, I was thinking about during this over the last couple of weeks and um, our church is a family. Uh, it's not something that you attend, but it's rather something you belong to. Um, in my family, we've got Alana and I and our three kids, and none of our kids attend our family. They all belong to our family. Sometimes it feels like they're just attending uh, and turning up for the good bits and uh, don't want to contribute. But we're teaching them at a young age that they uh, are valued in our family and they have something to contribute. Um, so if they take their shoes off when they walk in the door, we say... You've got a job to do with those shoes. They don't just stay in the middle of the hallway. Uh, and, but they need reminding all the time. Of like They go back in the shoebox in your room. Uh, put them away. Uh, don't just leave them out. But everyone plays a part in our family, and, and we don't just attend our family. Even last night, um, Alana and I and the kids were driving home from Geelong uh, from an engagement party. And when I'm driving at night time and the kids are in the back, and um, I have my job to drive the car, uh, and it's so much easier when Alana's doing a, a job looking after the kids and trying to get them to, to fall asleep, which, if you know, trying to get three kids to fall asleep on a Saturday night after a party is not easy. But we managed. 7.30, they were all out. Oh, I mean, that's just a miracle in itself, praise God. Um, <clears throat> and they pretty much slept the whole way home, which was fantastic. But we played our part, and it made it so much easier. If, if Alana didn't do that, and she was just like, you know what, I'm just going to fall asleep as well, and Brad, you're in charge of driving and managing all the kids and making sure they're happy in the back. I mean, we would have got home. It would have been okay, but it would have been way less fun, way more stressful, um, and it just wouldn't have worked out as well. Uh, and that's sort of like what it's like in a church family, is that we manage to get by no matter how much everyone contributes and plays their part, but it's so much more fun, it's so much more enjoyable, it's so much more productive when everyone chips in and does their part. So it's not just about giving, but that's in terms of serving, that's in terms of just playing your part in the family. And of course, there's times where a family member gets sick or there's a need or there's a season in your life where you can't. You know, Eden's only two. And so where she doesn't have the same expectations as, say, I have on me in what, what we give to the family. Um, but it's not far off. It's pretty close. Uh, it's just a little bit dangerous for her to push the mower yet, but I reckon next year, um, I would not let her dare touch my lawn, but anyway, um, everyone helps out, and so I don't know what season of life you're in, uh, and there's all different seasons we play and, and have, and so there's no expectation that you have to pretend everything's okay and, and give and serve uh, if, if that season is not right for you, but just consider 
um, how you are contributing to the family. You don't attend. If you just rock up on a Sunday and think, oh, I'm just going to attend church this morning and then I'll leave and walk out the door and not think about it for another few weeks, um, that's not really what the family of God is, is like. We, we belong to each other. Uh, we contribute. Um, so think about your giving for next year. Think about even your serving for teams. Uh, if, you ha- if you haven't uh, become a member, uh, we do a membership system in our church that you need to be baptised for to be part of our, our church membership. But members vote on the budget. They vote on important things in the church. It's, it's an administration part of our church, but it shows that, hey, this is my church. I'm committed to it. I'm part of it. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about membership as well. All right. That's a message before the message. Sorry. We are going to talk about John chapter 4 this morning. We're going to round out the last bit of John chapter 4. Uh, so far in John chapter 4, we've seen an extended story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Uh, and there's been two big themes, or maybe three big themes you could pull out of that story. Uh, the water and the food, those two. And then the idea of worship, that sort of sits in the middle of it all. Um, and so I'm not going to go over those ideas, but I want you to sort of have that in the back of your mind as we look at this last peculiar bit of John chapter 4 uh, and what it might mean and how it might tie together. Um, so John chapter 4 we're going to start at verse 43 and read to the end. It says this, After two days, so he's finished with the woman of Samaria. After two days, remember all the Samaritans came out, and so he went to the Samaritan town where the woman was from. They all listened to him. They all got, uh, believed in him. And so he stayed with the Samaritans for two days. He wasn't planning to do that. But after two days, he left there for Galilee. And Jesus himself had testified. This is a little... Um, John's putting a little um, commentary here. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honour in his own country. When they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen everything he he did in Jerusalem during the festival, for they had also gone to the festival. He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea, to Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, since he was about to die. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, and your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him, and he departed. While he was still going down, his servants met him, saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. And the father realized that this was the very hour at which Jesus told him, your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. So God, we thank you for your word this morning and we thank you that it's able to teach us and encourage us and challenge us. And God, we pray that as we come to your word this morning and as we take a few moments just to focus our attention on you and what you might be speaking to us. God, that you might unify us around uh, the ideas and the truths of your word. Uh, You might help us to hear your voice speaking to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Give us a little wave if you've got a gym membership. Not if you go, but if you've got a gym membership. Yeah, I'm with you. So I've currently got a gym membership. Um, I know. (laughs) Obviously, Brad. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, and uh, my, 
I, I currently go to the gym maybe once a week. Um, and if you go to the gym once a week, all that really happens is that you just sore for a few days before you go to the gym the next time, and you don't really see many results in the way of it. I, I'm not a um, personal trainer. I'm not someone who knows much about body science, but I sort of get the impression that to see much in the way that if you want to get big guns or get a six-pack abs, which I don't have any of those things, uh, you need to go regularly. You need, a, you need to commit to, to the gym, and you can't just go once a week or when it suits or when you feel like it, which I never feel like it, and it never suits. Um, <clears throat> but because I'm paying for the gym membership, I feel like, oh, I should go and use it. Um, well, actually, I'm a pays for the gym membership, and it's just a a freebie, your partner can come for free, stay. Yeah, I'm not really paying for it. Uh, anyway, I think sometimes um, we're a bit like this with our Christianity. Like We have the idea of Jesus and we welcome it. It's like, yeah, 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 I love that idea. I love the idea of going to the gym, but am I valuing that uh, part of my life or am I just welcoming the idea? Um, and I have to admit that I'm not um, valuing the idea of the gym. I'm not honouring it. I'm just welcoming the idea. And this morning I want to talk about this idea that Jesus desires your honour, not just your welcome. Jesus desires your honour, not just your welcome. And there's some key verses here that we just read, and they're pretty peculiar because they sort of contradict each other if you're not reading carefully. Right at the start there, it says, you know, John gives that little commentary in verse 44. He says, Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honour in his own country. And the very next phrase is when he entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. It's like, oh, so he's got no honour, but then he's welcomed? Like, what is that? What is that all about? And then in verse 50, um, it's sort of like this story has nothing to do with that little bit, but it, it does, and I want to show you that. In verse 50, Jesus says, Go, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said, and he departed. So what is the connection? And I think Jesus is showing us John's teaching us that what it means to, to honour rather than just welcome. Um, John's been doing this already through uh, the, the story with Nicodemus uh, and Nicodemus coming and sort of like, Nicodemus has welcomed the idea of Jesus and then Jesus is saying, no, you need to honour me. You need to be born again. There's more to it than just agreeing with the idea um, in your mind. There's something that's got to change in your heart. So we're going to talk about this idea of being um, honoured and not just welcome. So he left, Judea, uh, he left Galilee, we read those verses in verse 45, when he entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because he'd, they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival, for they had also gone to the festival. So those two words there, those two key words, welcome and honour, honour is this idea in this passage of uh, assigning value or reverence, Okay. And then the idea of welcome is this idea of receiving as a visitor or to give ear to or to endure or to bear. And so you can, if you speak the, the Greek language, you can immediately hear what John's saying and go, ah, they're not honouring him, they're just welcoming him. And there's a big difference. And this is the danger that we face today. It's one thing to welcome Jesus, and lots of people will. Lots of people will give, give ear to what Jesus teaches. They'll go, oh, he's got some great values. Or, oh, yeah, I remember in Sunday school when I was a little one, um, the, the, I love the Christian values. I love the Christian ethic. I love 
the morality that Christianity teaches. You know, people will give ear to what Jesus says, but they will not honor him. They will not value him. He's a good teacher. He has good morals. We'll listen to what he's got to say, but it's a completely different thing to honor Jesus and to understand the value and give him reverence. When you value and when you give reverence, you change your relationship to that thing. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this idea that um, if you receive a, a bit of um, jewelry or an inheritance for something, and if you understand the value of it, it changes your relationship to it. If you assign no value to it, it's just like, that's for the op shop. But then you find out that, well, actually, that's a 28-carat diamond. I don't know what carrots and how they work, but something ridiculous. Obviously, they probably don't go that high by the snooze. Um, a great value diamond ring, it's going to change your relationship to that ring. You're no longer just going to flick it off to the op shop, um, or, unless you're very generous and just... Um, but you're probably going to change your, your relationship to that ring. You're going to know where it is at all times. It's going to maybe be locked away. It's maybe going to be cared for. It's going to be given some attention. Your life will suddenly start to revolve a little bit more around that ring. That's what this idea of honouring Jesus is like. That, and this is where it ties back into the worship idea of the Samaritan woman at the well. Everything changes as you understand the value of the object before you. When we understand the value, we change our relationship and essentially we worship that item. When we, the, the things that are of the greatest value in our life, we worship. Our lives, uh, we sacrifice time for, we sacrifice money for, we give energy to, we, we uh, ignore other things in place of that. And so you can think of things in your life that if someone, if you got a text right now that said something about someone or something and you would go, I need to go right now. Unless it was like work calling for an emergency, but if it was like, you know, the, there's a hundred bucks left on the end of your street and you're like, I've got to go and get it. Or, or whatever it is, you know, you could go and um, disrupt something. That's what your life is worshipping in that moment. So when you receive something, you don't necessarily worship it. Sometimes you forget it. You can give it back. Someone gives you, you've had these gifts at Christmas or your birthday. You receive the gift. <laughs> Thanks. Just what I always wanted. A tenth pair of socks. Put them in the drawer. But there's no value because they're still in their packet a year later. No, just me? Okay. You can receive something without valuing it. You use it when it suits, but you ignore it the rest of the time. And so right from the start, we can have this challenge. What have I done with Jesus recently? Where has Jesus been in my life this week? Have I just, been, have I just welcomed him, but not honoured him? Has he got any value in my life this week? Has he got any importance in my life? in my life this week? Is my world revolving around him at any point this week? Or is he just sort of sat in the top drawer and, well, Sunday morning I better, whew, where's Jesus again? Oh, yep, let's think about him again. <coughs> what is he, where is he in your life? Have you welcomed him or have you honoured him? Do you listen to what you like and ignore the rest? Or do you value him above all else, even your own opinion and your own desires? Welcomed, but not honoured. But then we see this story in Cana. And so verse 46, he went to Cana of Galilee, where he turned the water to wine. So the book of John, some people call it the book of signs, and this is the second sign. The first sign was in Cana as well. Start of chapter 2, 
Jesus went to Cana, turned water to wine. And so Jesus goes on this journey, comes back to Cana. And John's sort of like, um, we didn't have chapters and verses when he wrote this, but this is his way of sort of concluding this section of Scripture and saying this is a little package of Cana to Cana, if you like, the first sign to the second sign. And I think it's just amazing that the first sign is a wedding, celebration, it's a party. There's like joyful things happening and people are getting together. The second sign is like the complete opposite. There's a child dying. And I think it's just an amazing thing that Jesus is interested in both. He's not just interested in the hard times that you go through, but he's interested in the great times you go through too. He doesn't want just to be valued in some moments of your life, but he wants to be valued in every moment of your life. Jesus is interested in your highs and your lows. He's there for all of it. Lots of people turn to Jesus uh, when things go bad. Lots of people turn to Jesus in desperation as like a last resort. Oh, let's go to... And maybe that's what this man was doing. Maybe he was coming to Jesus in desperation like, I've heard there's something good about this guy. I've heard he's doing miracles and wonders. Maybe I'll give him a go. But Jesus is not just interested when you're desperate. He's interested in every part of your life, every season, every moment, the joys and the sorrows. And so whatever season you're in now, maybe it's a joyful one, maybe it's a hard one, maybe it's just a mediocre one. Jesus is interested in it. And not only is he interested in it, he's got a part to play in it. He's got a plan for it. He wants to show you something. He wants to teach you something or he wants to change something in you. You know, these events, the wedding and the heartache, results uh, are signs, John says, and they're there for a reason. And the reason the signs are here written in John, remember right at the start we looked at this verse in John chapter 20, the signs are given for a reason. Let's remind ourselves in verse 30 and 31 of John chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus wants more than you're welcome, but he wants this saving faith, this belief in who he is, that he is the Son of God, that he is supreme over all others, that you would trust him with your life, with your eternal life, with all of it. Jesus desires your honour, not just your welcome. And he's interested in every part of your life. So he goes to Cana. Um, and then this, this man comes. I didn't write verse 47 there again. But uh, verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and pleaded him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. And what does Jesus do? This is a weird statement, isn't it? Imagine just, can you imagine a father coming in desperation? His son is literally about to die. He comes to Jesus, the loving shepherd um, king, and Jesus says, oh, unless you guys get a sign, you won't believe anything. Like he rebukes him, and he rebukes everyone who's listening. It's like, and why would Jesus do that? That's not a very um, kind thing to say. It's not a very compassionate thing to say in that moment. Someone comes to you with a sick child and says, can you help me? And it's like, oh, all you want is for your kid to get well. So, yeah, that is all I want. <laughs> that's the problem, isn't it? Jesus is saying, that's not it. If your kid gets well, but you don't believe in me, you've missed the point. You've completely missed it. You need so much more than just your kid to be healthy. 
And so it is out of love that Jesus says, unless you just get signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's so much more than signs and wonders. It's so much more than a miracle. If you're anything like me, you might think to yourself from time to time, if God showed me more miracles, it would be easier to believe in him. If God did more signs and wonders, it would be easier to believe. I might give my life to him more. I might surrender more of all of who I am. Is anyone like that? It's like, oh, I just wish that God would just do miraculous things like heal people or raise someone from the dead in front of me. So then I could just like know for sure. As I was thinking about that this week, I was, I was wondering if, if that did happen, if we had more signs, more wonders, if it would actually lead to the opposite, if it would actually lead to us treating God as some sort of like what I can get from him. I just get this thing when, I'm, when I need it, but I don't go to him for a relationship. I don't go to him and trust him with all of my life. I just come to him when there's a problem. And Jesus is saying, I don't want to be that God. I'm not interested in just being a God who solves your problems. I'm not, in, I'm not a vending machine. I'm a God of relationship. And actually, if you were to pay attention in your life and you were to look around, you would see that you are surrounded by miracles. You are surrounded by signs. You are surrounded by wonders. Just put your hand on your heart for a second. Can you feel it beating? You know, at any moment, that could just stop. I mean, I don't want to alarm you, and I pray it doesn't happen to anyone this morning. But it, could, it is a miracle that your heart is just beating like that, pumping blood around every organ and every place in your body that needs it for you to live. Or feel the breath. Don't smell it. Just feel it. It's amazing your lungs are just, without even you thinking, in and out. It is a miracle. Or the voice you use to tell your kids off, tell your spouse you love them. The voice you use, it is a miracle that that works. The smells you're smelling right now, hopefully not your breath or your partner's breath. I don't know how it works, but it's miraculous, isn't it? That that can happen. The gravity that we have that's just the right amount that we are not like absolutely dragging ourselves around like rocks on the ground, but not floating away into space. It's a miracle. The things that you can see, the colours, the things that you're touching right now, the senses that you have, miraculous. And these things are miraculous. They are incredible. Your body healing yourself. You get a cut, it scabs over and then few weeks later it's like it's brand new but we want more don't we it's like it's never enough it's never enough it's similar to money you know if I was to say you're like one of the richest people in the world you might think speak for yourself I'm struggling it's hard to pay the bills it's hard to put food on the table sometimes and it is But if you were to live somewhere else and have a different income, you might look at someone like yourself and think, you've got no idea how hard it can be. You've got no idea. Even though we've got wealth, we still want more. 
And I think it would be the same with miracles, the same with signs, the same with wonders. No matter what we had, we'd still be going, I just want some more. And Jesus is saying, I'm not interested in just giving you miracles and signs and wonders because what I'm interested in is in your faith and your heart and your relationship. He knows our condition. And he knows that our life can just get caught up in these experiences and these things. And they won't ever satisfy the way he can. You could have all the healings you want, but your soul still needs something more than that. Your soul needs more than a healthy body. Your heart needs more than just a good provision for tomorrow. Your heart needs a saviour. It needs a God. It needs someone who knows the beginning and the end, who holds your life, who loves you, who accepts you, who forgives you. You need more than a miracle. And so when Jesus says this statement that can come across pretty harsh, it's supposed to make us go, whoa, why is he saying that? And he's saying that for a reason. He's saying that because he loves you. He loves us. In verse 49, Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Even though Jesus rebukes this guy and the people around, he's just like, I don't care what you think. Come. My boy is going to die. And what does Jesus say? Fine, go. Your son will live. Again, there's no, it's, it's sort of like, what's going on here? But the, the man turns around and says, all right, I'm taking that word. I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to live accordingly like it's true. And so he turns and goes home. That was enough for him. I don't know about you, but I'll be like, uh, can you come? Like, not that maybe your words are powerful, but like, I would really love it. I'm not sure that that's true. And so I would really like you to come. In this time, the magicians, the sorcerers, the, you look through the Old Testament, Elijah, anyone who did a miracle physically had to be present where the miracle, miracle happened. And so this was a big, big deal for this man to turn and go, all right, I'll believe that. Because that wasn't the done thing. What kind of person is this to, to take Jesus at his word? What kind of faith is this? Is it someone who's just particularly trusting? You know those people, you've got them in your life, they believe anything you say. So, oh, have you been outside today? The sky's turned blue. I mean, red. And you might even say it like that, and they go, oh, yeah, okay, I'll go and see it. And then you go outside, no. Or if you're like Pastor Jackie, you can say, spider, and she'll, be like, oh, she'll believe anything you say. If it's, <laughs> if it's to do with a spider. Particularly trusting, maybe because I just don't tell lies and people think he would not trick me. I would. <clears throat> do that to my kids all the time. Or maybe you're not a trusting person, you're more sceptical. I think I'm more like this. Like, you tell me something, my wife would say I'm the opposite, that I'm very trusting and a bit naive sometimes, but sceptical, like, you say something like, did that really happen? Are you sure? My kids tell me stuff all the time at school, like, whatever they did, kick Harry with his sports and the goals that he kicked. I'm like, did that really happen like that? Like, or is that just, like, how you saw it? I think sometimes we can come to scripture and, and think it's just a certain type of person that has good faith. It's like, a, it's like a talent. You know, some people can sing and some people can't. Some people can draw and some people can't. Some people can have faith. Some people can't. But Jesus, that's not, what this, that's not what's happening here. 
That's not what's happening here. It's not just a particularly trusting person that takes Jesus at his word. You see, the man starts with this uh, logic or this reason, if you like. He hears what's happening in the town. Jesus has been healing people. And so he goes because he's thought to himself, there's someone that might have an answer. I'm going to investigate this. I'm going to look into this. I'm going to think about this and I'm going to go. He hears what's been happening. And because he's heard something, he uses his thoughts and his mind to, to reason. This guy's a miracle worker. Let me go check him out. He has reason to believe that he is the Son of God. But you can think, you can use logic, you can reason, you can use all the philosophy you like to try to prove God, and you'll always just fall a little bit short. You'll, you'll never be able to give a concrete evidence that God is true to the point where you don't need any faith. It's just like, it's fact. God is true. There is always a moment of faith. There is always a moment of trusting what God wants. Reason is a great place to start, but you have to move from there to trust. You can't completely rely on reason. You have to move to faith. And this is tricky for any of us that are sceptical because sometimes we just want a convincing argument that proves it's all real. But the problem is everything in your life takes faith. Everything takes faith. You can't really prove anything. How can you prove that you're really here and that you're not in some simulation or some sort of dream? You, I mean, you can't really... You're thinking, Brad, that's a bit far-fetched. But you can't prove that. You've just sort of got to a point in... It's like, well, no, I think that's true. I think that's true. Has anyone ever seen The Truman Show? Like, remember that movie from way back where this guy, I think it was Jim Carrey, was this guy, and he was in a simulation that was like secret video cameras and everyone was an actor around him, and then he discovered eventually that he was a part of this reality show that he was a star of and he didn't realise. Has anyone ever watched that movie and think, oh, am I in the Truman Show? <laughs> and you're like, oh, he's worked it out. Have I? No. <laughs> you can't prove anything's real. You know, when... Um, some, some people get married, and I'm doing some marriage preparation with a couple at the moment, and you can't prove, and I can't prove, and they can't prove to each other that they're marrying the right person. They can use all the logic and reason they want. They can think about it. They can do the research, do background checks, um, personality tests. They can do all those things all they want, but you can't prove it's the right person. It takes a moment of faith, doesn't it, to go, and those of you who are married, you know that. It takes, I mean, it's like, let's, yes, let's do it. It takes faith. It takes faith to, move, to, marry, the, to marry someone because you can't prove it's right. Or even your morality or your ethics. You can't prove that they're true. You can, I mean, you can't prove that they're right. You've just worked out that they're, you think they're right. Like you've put your trust in your morals because of whatever, however you've arrived at them. And so you've put your faith in them and gone, I'm going to live by them. I'm going to live by them. Well, it's the same with God. You can't prove there is God just like you can't prove there isn't a God. I mean, people would say that, oh, Christians, you're people of faith. I would say everyone's a person of faith. Everyone's putting their trust in something. 
you're either putting your faith that there is a God or you're putting their faith that there isn't a God. You can't prove it either way. There is no way to prove it 100% either way. So you've got to put your faith somewhere. At least where we're upfront about it. Yeah, of course it's faith. That's what we're doing. We're putting our faith in God. We've used all we can. We've looked into it as, as best we can. And it's, it's true. We pray things change. Sometimes you can pray and it goes, it doesn't change. But that's when we come back to, we know it's true. We've, we've put our faith in it. Regardless of what is the outcome, we've put our faith into it. You know, back in um, a couple hundred years ago, there was a guy called Charles Blondin. I came across this when I was um, looking into this. Uh, he was a tightrope walker um, and famous for walking across tightropes across like Niagara Falls and crazy places. And um, sometimes he did different versions of this blindfolded. Like some, he did blindfolded once. Some, one time he did it in a sack. One time he did it with a wheelbarrow, trundling along the rope with a wheelbarrow. One time he carried his manager like, on his back. One time he walked across the tightrope, sat down halfway along and cooked an omelette and ate it. <laughs> it's like the confidence. But one day, and, and this is like more, we're not, you can, I think the, the other things are pretty historically accurate, but one day there's a, the story goes that this, that he had a big crowd in front of me, just been, walked across, I think it was the day he had the wheelbarrow, he walked across the wheelbarrow, he said, do you reckon I could carry a person across in the wheelbarrow? Yeah, we reckon. Do you reckon I could do it today? Yeah. Should I do it now? Yeah. All right, I need a volunteer. And this crowd goes silent. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to believe in Jesus with your mind. Yeah, I think he's true. I think it's right. It's another thing to entrust your life to him. It's another thing to get in the wheelbarrow, isn't it? Say, all right, Jesus, I'm going to take you at your word. My life's going to be different. I'm going to live like you're true. I'm going to give my time, my money, my energy like you're true. It's one thing to welcome the idea, but it's another thing to put your faith into action and entrust yourself and your life. Jesus desires your honour, not just your welcome. As the team comes back up, um, I just want to show you in this story that the, the boy dying is just, it's, it's a picture of salvation. It's a picture of our salvation, that we are on our deathbed without hope, in need of a miracle. But Jesus has spoken the word, his final word, it is finished. We haven't been in his presence when that happened, but he spoke it, it is finished. And there's been people coming, servants if you like, coming saying, Jesus spoke the word. And we have to take the word of the servants that come to us and say, the boy lives, you are alive. You've been made right with Jesus. We need to hear the words of the Holy Spirit this morning. You live. You're forgiven. You're saved. Don't just believe the idea. Don't just welcome the idea. Entrust the idea. Value the idea. Honour the idea. And so what area of your life this morning are you believing but not trusting? How are you welcoming Jesus but not honouring him?
Maybe there's an area, maybe there's a time in your week where you know that this is true for you. An area of your life where you know that this is true for you, where you know what Jesus' idea is, but it's just like, that's a good idea, Jesus, but actually I'm going to value this instead in this moment. Whether it's to do with your family, whether it's to do with your job, relationships, your time. How can you trust Jesus, not just welcome him? Let's stand together and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you love us and that God, that you give us words sometimes that maybe you come across a little unkind, but they cause us to lean in and go, why are you saying that? And God, I pray this morning this idea of honouring you, not just welcoming you, would cause us to to pause and take stock and, and understand that you love us. You don't want to shame us. You don't want to guilt us. But you have more for us. God, I pray that you would help us to trust you enough to to get in the wheelbarrow and to completely let you take our life in your hands, every part of it. Help us to live like it. And God, as we do that, people would see us and go, there's something this guy trusts, there's something this, this girl trusts. It's more than themselves. And it's a foundation for their life. God, I pray that you would help us to know that foundation, that that grace, that forgiveness, that love, like never before. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he has spoken the words, it is finished. We want to take you at your word this morning, Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. Our life has been made made right with you. We honour you this morning, Jesus, with everything we have. In Jesus' name, amen.